podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The fellows were practicing long shies and bowling lobs and slow twisters. In the soft grey silence he could hear the bump of the balls and from here and from there through the quiet air the sound of the cricket bats pick, pack, pock, puck like drops of water in a fountain falling softly in the brimming bowl. When you think of Ireland, Dublin especially, you think of Joyce. James, that was, him writing about the noblest game in his native city at the beginning of the last century, the golden age of cricket, when the art form that is the test match was itself as a young man. Of course, cricket had long been in Ireland by this stage, established by the English troops and played at garrisons a hundred years and more before. Sure, the Duke of Wellington even played for us back then. The first Irish team was assembled to play an England eleven in 1855, and it became the most popular sport in the land, blind to class and creed. But with the rise of Irish nationalism, the Gaelic Athletic Association was set up to promote the indigenous games of football and hurling. Cricket was seen as quintessentially English, and its popularity was gradually eroded, as anyone playing or even watching this or any other foreign sport would be banned from any GAA activities. This banishment had come at the end of the 1902 season, one in which the great WG had wielded his cudgel for 44 runs against Ireland for the MCC at Lord's. The good doctor had also graced the iconic Trinity College Dublin Square in the heart of the city. One legend has it that he launched a smaximum right across the street and through the window of the exclusive Kildare Street Club. In 1923, the Irish Cricket Union was formed, mainly to maintain these games versus the MCC, to play two or three day matches against Scotland and to entertain a touring test side looking for a little jolly respite from the serious business in England. The sport was nourished predominantly in three areas, where today swanky new first-class franchises reside. The Leinster Union are hosts this week, the Northern Union, clubs in and around Belfast, and a wee fertile pocket up in the northwest. And it was there that Irish cricket's next seismic event would take place. Cyan Mills, 1969, West Indies meet Goodwin and O'Reardon, 25 all out. Good effort that, they were 12 for 9. It's in black and white on YouTube. Was Ireland's more famous black and white potion clouding the judgement of the crack Windies batsman? They'll never tell. More exposure followed with Ireland entering the English domestic one-day competitions but with little success. The name Garth LaRue still sends a shudder through followers' hearts. His hat-trick-infused 5-for-7 skittled us for 39 against Sussex in the 80s. And yes, it was fun to have the likes of Steve Waugh, Hansi Cronje and Jesse Ryder donning the shamrock for us as overseas players. But it was more thrilling to watch the drip-feed of Irish names playing first-class cricket becoming a stream through these years. Monteith. Anderson, Halliday, Lewis, Corlett, Benson, Mullins, Eagleson, 
Patterson, McCubrey, White, Joyce. In 2004, we finally won one, beating a Surrey team of all the talents by five wickets. An unused batsman that day was one Owen Joseph Gerard Morgan. Whatever happened to him? Now that the wider world of cricket was au fait with the spelling of Irish names, it was time to go global. Morgan's runs in qualification had got us to our first World Cup in 07. First a thrilling tie against Zimbabwe, then St. Patrick's Day in Sabina Park. Remember Dave Langford-Smith and his chicken dance? Pakistan penciled for a 1-3-2. Our gnarly old skipper Trent Johnston gave a famous half-time team talk. And Nobby O'Brien, 72 not out, got us into the Super 8s. And four more weeks in the West Indies. Some crack. To prove we were all grown up, we had to get good at 2020 cricket as well. We gave the eventual champs a real scare at the 2010 World T20 before Guyana rain and Providence fell upon England to save them. Mother Cricket wasn't quite ready for the ultimate upset yet. A year later in Bengaluru, however. A World Cup record 3-2-8 to chase, and we're Nelson for five at the halfway point. We've got just the pink-haired giant for the job. Nobby's little brother Kevin, with another record, a 50-ball ton, still the fastest in World Cup history, and madman John Mooney to hit the winning runs. A win over the old enemy like that was sure wake up the country to cricket. A Ray Houghton, David Healy, Ginger McLaughlin moment for the sport. Another big World Cup scalp was claimed four years later, as Paul Sterling's 92 helped to beat those windies again. Guerrilla Cricket brought you that one exclusively too. And coupled with sustained dominance in the multi-day Intercontinental Cup, Ireland had proved to be the outstanding associate nation, worthy to become the 11th test-playing team. And we're not just here to make up the numbers. So today, when you think of Ireland, you think of Joyce, Porterfield, Sterling, Balburnie, O'Brien, O'Brien, Wilson, Shannon, Young, Kane, Thompson, McBride, Murta and Rankin. The fellows were practising. These fellas are ready. Sports Social Podcast Network.